I'm not. No. I am not going to get dragged into the Hellman's versus Duke fake fight. That's not. It's not helpful. There's no reason. There's no reason to do that. And it's not because I grew up eating Hellman's over. I didn't look. I didn't have an option. I grew up in New York. We only had Hellman's. There, well, there was another one. There was like something like a. There's another one around. It's like like a couple of letters for the name, right? I can't, I want to say JFG, but that's coffee. All right, News Talk eleven ten ninety nine three WBT, the Pete Callender Show. I'm I'm going to move off of this mayo versus ketchup non argument because it's not even really an argument. It's just obvious ketchup or ketchup is not the superior condiment. Mayonnaise is. Um, but people keep wanting though they want to they want to know do I like Dukes better than Hellman's or Hellman's better than Dukes and I'm not going to get dragged into that primary fight. That's like a primary fight. It's not necessary. I got my eyes trained on the general election, and that is mayo versus ketchup. And, you know, I don't, I'm just saying, like, ketchup is red, just like commies. I mean, if you want to hook your wagon to that commie star, you go right ahead. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I love America. So I'm pro mayo. I'm on team mayo. But, I grew up eating Hellman's, and so that's that's familiar to me. I like it. That being said, I like Dukes, too. I prefer mayo over any other condiment, generally, and so I'm fine with Dukes. I don't dislike it. I like it. I like it the same. But if somebody put a gun to my head and said, you have to eat one of these Hellman's or Dukes, or we're going to kill you, and I had to choose, I would choose Hellman's. But I wouldn't like it. I mean, I would like the Hellman's, don't get me wrong, but I would like the Dukes too. I would like the the taste of it, but I, I would not like the fact that someone's holding me at gunpoint making me eat mayo. That seems wrong. But I would never do that. And I don't think anybody who's pro-mayo would. So it's kind of, this is what I mean. This It's not even worth our time to consider. Okay. However, all this talk about mayo, it does connect into the potato. The great potato smashing or mashing, if you prefer, uh, of 2022, and I have audio of the uh, of the potato getting mashed by some college kids. Actually, some college freshmen, a freshman at I think University of Chicago, uh, he did the smashing of potato, aka Brian Stelter from CNN. Uh, my name is Christopher Phillips. I'm a first year at the college. Uh, my question is for Mr. Stelter. Uh, you've all spoken extensively about Fox News being a purveyor of uh, disinformation. Uh, but CNN is right up there with them. They pushed the Russian collusion hoax. They pushed the Jesse Smollett hoax. They smeared Justice Kavanaugh as a rapist. And they also smeared Nick Sandman as a white supremacist. And yes, they dismissed the Hunter Biden laptop affair as pure Russian disinformation. Uh, with mainstream corporate journalists becoming little more than uh, apologists and cheerleaders for the regime, is it time to finally declare that the uh, the canon of journalistic ethics is dead or no longer operative? Uh, all the mistakes of the mainstream media and CNN in particular seem to magically all go in one direction. Are we expected to believe that this is all just some sort of random coincidence or is there something else behind it? And scene. <laughs> so a couple of things. First off, this kid, I saw somebody make this point on Twitter earlier. This kid and I think one of his friends who asked uh, another person, uh, Ann Applebaum, a similar type of question at a different panel discussion at the University of Chicago's 
Disinformation and the Erosion of Democracy Summit. This was a thing that they actually held. And they had Brian freaking Stelter up there on stage where he got to talk about all of the things that the media does so great, in particularly CNN. You're going to hear his answer. I will play his answer because it really wouldn't be a complete potato smashing if you didn't get to hear the potato get smashed. But, okay, look, I, I usually don't take, well, I shouldn't say that. I understand. Calling Brian Stelter a potato, it's a cheap shot. And sometimes I take them. Yes. Okay, I just wanted to get that out there. I am aware. I am aware it's a cheap shot. But he does he does really look like a potato. Come on. Right? And he looked kind of like, he had a kind of orange tint to him as well, an orange potato. Which probably would be good with a side of mayo, but I'm not going to go there. So what this kid did and his buddy at the other panel discussion, what they did is probably of more value uh, uh, to the conservative movement or to uh, uh, you know people who want reforms in the legacy media outlets. They want you know better reporting. They want uh, uh, more fair reporting and fair treatment. They've done those two kids did more than probably I don't know. Millions of dollars? How many millions? I don't know, but 10 million? In money that has gone to conservative think tanks to try to advance the ball on these issues. Those two guys getting up there and asking the question as they did, because I have the other question too we'll take a listen to. They've done more to move the ball on offense. Because what you're going to hear from Stelter and what you're going to hear from Applebaum uh, the potato and the apple. What you're going to hear... Okay, that's another cheap shot, okay, but I took it. So you're going to hear them lay out precisely why they have no credibility and why the media and the news industry is suffering such low approval numbers and why so many people don't trust them anymore. You're going to hear them explain it. So one criticism that I have from uh, or of the student's question, though, too many openings for Stelter to squeeze through. He left too many openings. This is one of the biggest problems. Reporters make this uh, mistake, especially young reporters. Uh, they ask questions that go on too long. And when you ask questions, the more words you put into the question, the more ways the subject of the interview can skirt your questions or squeeze through different openings. That's why the best, this was an old, uh, the old morning guy, Al Gardner. Uh, he was the one who taught me this. He said, the best follow-up question is how so that's it. Two, two words. How so you just ask how so, because it's, it's a nicer way. And it's a less sort of assertive way of saying why, because why, why can come across as uh, antagonistic sometimes, but how so is more open-ended. It's more like, oh, how so? Right? It, it, it ends with this kind of lilting up, how so, in the tone, and it invites a response. And they don't have time to think about it. That's what makes it a great follow-up question. The longer you run on with the question, the more likely they are to find a part of your question that they want to address while ignoring the more important question that you were trying to ask. So when he starts saying with me, he starts off fine. He gives his five pieces of evidence, right? He's like uh, Smollett hoax, 
the Russia collusion hoax, smearing Kavanaugh, smearing Nick Sandman, and uh, the Hunter Biden laptop story. Boom, boom, boom. He gave you five examples of how you guys engaged in this very disinformation that you're now up there on stage telling us you're fighting against. But then he goes on to broaden it from CNN, saying with mainstream corporate journalists become little more, becoming little more than apologists and cheerleaders for the regime. And that sentence right there gave the potato all the room to squeeze through. I mean, he's probably... I mean, he's going to lose some of the, you know, he's going to lose some of the potato in squeezing through the, the, the opening. He's going to become like a svelter or just a misshapen potato after forcing his way through. That's why it's a potato mash. It's like when you mash the potato, it makes them like them into little cubes and stuff with that handheld mash. Okay. So now I'm supposed to follow that promo talking about mayo i feel like i feel like i'm letting him down now did you know there's a mayo lake in north carolina there is apparently a mayo lake i know i would love to go swimming in mayo lake i would keep my mouth open and i would just eat all the mayo although i gotta wonder sitting out in the sun wouldn't it start to separate Mayo chup is another thing, by the way. They've mixed Heinz, knowing that they're not the superior condiment, obviously. They are trying to piggyback off of mayo superiority, and they are mixing ketchup into the mayo. You'll notice in a clear sign that even Heinz knows they call it mayo chup instead of ketchup A's or whatever, right? They put mayo first. I think I made my point. So let me go back to this uh, potato smashing uh, at the, uh, what was this thing called? The Disinformation and the Erosion of Democracy Summit. It was at the University of Chicago's Institute for Politics. And they had a bunch of panel discussions. And one of the panelists in said discussion was a potato. No, it was, I'm sorry. Okay, I'll start. It was Brian Stelter from CNN. It was Brian Stelter. And by the way, I reserve, I don't, I don't, make fun of people like this usually, but he has earned all of my wrath. And by wrath, I mean mockery. He has earned it. His job is an important one, and he carries water and acts as a propagandist for corporate media, particularly CNN. And so I have no use for this guy. He's he's worse than a reporter who's trying to tell a story and gets it wrong. He's worse than a reporter who's trying to tell a story and maybe trying to influence you. He's worse because his beat is the media. You're supposed to be the person that critiques the media so we now have credibility. I've gone, I went over this you know, last week or whatever where we talked about the historical role of the fact checkers. These were people that were on staff. They looked inward. They checked their own stories. And this gave the readers, it gave the audience the ability uh, to trust the product. And that's what you're supposed to be doing, bub. And you're not. You're not. You're acting as the Praetorian Guard for Democrat institutions. So this is what the kid was getting at when he asked the question. He should have, like, if, if I was helping him craft the question... I would have done exactly what he did at the beginning. He lists the five examples of disinformation that CNN trafficked 
And then I would just simply say, are these examples of disinformation in your opinion? And if so, why should we ignore these examples that your own outlet pervade? Ask him if it's disinformation. Get him to deny it. Because, uh, And that's it. And let him let him tap dance around that. But the kid goes on. He makes the question a little bit longer. And so you, you gave the potato ways to squirm away. And so here's how the whole exchange sounded. Uh, my name is Christopher Phillips. I'm a first year at the college. Uh, my question is for Mr. Seltzer. Uh, you've all spoken extensively about Fox News being a purveyor of uh, disinformation. Uh, but CNN is right up there with them. They pushed the Russian collusion hoax. They pushed the Jesse Smollett hoax. They smeared Justice Kavanaugh as a rapist. And they also smeared Nick Salmon as a white supremacist. And yes, they dismissed the Hunter Biden laptop affair as pure Russian disinformation. Uh, with mainstream corporate journalists becoming little more than uh, apologists and cheerleaders for the regime, is it time to finally declare that the uh, the canon of journalistic ethics is dead or no longer operative? Uh, all the mistakes of the mainstream media and CNN in particular seem to magically all go in one direction. Are we expected to believe that this is all just some sort of random coincidence or is there something else behind it? It's too bad. It's time for lunch. <laughs> you have 30 seconds. No, I mean, there's, a, there's a clock that says 30 seconds. But, but I think my honest answer to you, and I will, I'll come over and talk in more detail after this, is that I think you're describing a different channel than the one that I watch. Uh, but I understand that that is a popular right-wing narrative about CNN. All right, so he basically just called the kid a liar. He called him a liar. That's why the first question should have been, are these examples of disinformation? If not, explain why not. And if so, then... Why are you asking us to ignore your examples of disinformation at this summit? Right? You got to get him. You got to first pin him down with a yes or no. Do you agree with this premise that this is disinformation? These examples. And if he says no, well, now, now, fields wide open. Right? Now you get to say, well, you smeared Kavanaugh as a rapist. You gave Julie Swetnick and Avenatti all this airtime. How is that not disinformation? The Russia collusion hoax. You put these people on the air every single day for. Five years, and it's all a lie. Hunter Biden's laptop. You guys still don't think this is a story. All of these, all of these are follow-ups that could have then been asked. Um, well, I, I don't have to. Well, here, maybe I can play a little bit. I think it's important when we talk about shared reality and democracy, all these networks, all these news outlets have to defend democracy. And when they screw up, admit it. Right, but that you're not admitting it, Potato. You're not admitting it. You were just given the opportunity to admit that you screwed up. He gave you five examples, and you can't even choose one. You can't even single one of these out and say, okay, yeah, you know what? We kind of screwed up on the Nick Sandman thing. We, we shouldn't have done it that way. We look back on that now, and it was wrong, and you know we got sued. So like, maybe we should have learned this or that from that, and that was our bet. He doesn't even do that. Instead, he turns around and gaslights and says, well, you know, when those other outlets make mistakes, they need to admit it. Yeah. Except he can't admit it. We've got requests now to uh, to make some mayo over ketchup flags, battle flags, maybe. T-shirts. Yeah. We just do like a little mayo jar, you know, like a jar of mayo, like a cartoon jar of mayo. Then uh, 
Or maybe that would be it. Team mayo or something. Or you could do like a mayo and a ketchup icon and, and have a little greater than, you know? Or a mayo jar up above. I don't know. We got some ideas. There are no bad ideas in the cone of creativity. I always say that. And I mean it. All right, let's get back to the potato. He's uh, out, he's sitting up on the stage during this uh, disinformation and the erosion of democracy summit at the University of Chicago's Institute for Politics. And Brian Stelter from CNN, whose job it is to monitor and critique media. And by the way, he always comes out like, CNN is the best. It's always the same result for him. So... Um, he's a water carrier. He's a propagandist. He's a PR hack for CNN, for its management, and for many of the uh, legacy corporate outlets. So he is asked by a kid at this conference. Uh, he gives him examples of how CNN has spread disinformation in very harmful, dangerous ways. Five different examples. And then he says, uh, you guys are a little more than apologists for the cheerleader and cheerleaders for the regime. So is it time to finally declare the canon of journalistic ethics is dead and no longer operative? All the mistakes the mainstream media make, and CNN in particular, seem to magically all go one direction. Are we expected to believe this is all a random coincidence or is something else behind it? And Stelter then says, I think you're describing a different channel that I watch. But that's a popular right-wing narrative. That's what he says. So he's basically calling the kid a liar that the examples the kid provided are not disinformation. And then he pivots to an almost admission of error. When he says, all of these outlets have to defend democracy, and when they screw up, they need to admit it. But he himself refuses to admit the screw-ups that the kid just listed. So this is, there's no better illustration of the disconnect and the gaslighting that Stelter is engaged in on a regular basis. This is why I loathe him so. Uh, but when Benjamin Hall, the Fox correspondent, was wounded in Ukraine, the news crews at CNN and the New York Times stopped what they were doing, and they tried to help. They tried to help him get out of the country. They tried to find the dead crew members. That's what news outlets do. That's how they actually do work together to your question about sharing those kinds of connections and trust. We don't talk about it enough, though. We don't share that reality about how that happens. It's irrelevant to what the kid asked, Potato. Irrelevant. It doesn't, you're talking about something else. Now, maybe he used the opportunity to go back and answer some other kid's question from before, but that's not responsive. People showing humanity and empathy willing to help somebody in a war zone who just got blown up that does not absolve you of spreading disinformation and then gaslighting people at the disinformation and erosion of democracy summit. That's not a get at it. Those people over in Ukraine, they did something good. They did something human. Not you. You didn't do that. And that story of their good deed does not reflect in any way on CNN's years-long campaigns of disinformation. And with regards to the regime, I think you mean the President Biden? Yes, he does. That's he meant. See, this is why you don't use the term regime when talking to somebody like Stelters, because he's going to key on that word, and then he's going to attack your use of the word with some pearl-clutching exaggeration, you know? 
Oh, my God, I can't believe you would say such a thing. The regime. How dare you use that word? So you try to try to cut out stuff like that. If you're if you find yourself in a position where you're able to ask these kinds of questions, try not to load up the question because you give the subject the ability to, you know, jump down that escape hatch. The last time I spoke with a Biden aide, we yelled at each other. So that's the reality of the news business that people don't see, that people don't hear. They imagine that it's a, a situation that simply is not. But I think your question, it speaks to the failure of journalism to show our work and show the reality of how our profession operates. We have a lot of work to do, I think. All right. So here's, the, here's what he's doing. He relies on a very common tactic that media and Democrats, but I repeat myself, a tactic that they employ in response to unpopular opinions or actions is that, well, the people just don't know how awesome these opinions or actions are. If they just knew, right, if we just did it better, we're just terrible at communicating our message. Think about that. The man who is employed at CNN to monitor and report on and critique media is advancing the idea here that media is not good at communication. I don't know how many people we need to fire about that. (laughs) How many people need to fire? You're not good at communication. It's literally your job. And your job is to communicate about the communications that are occurring. And you're telling me you don't do a good job of it? There's the door, potato. Go walk right through. He goes on to say there, though, that uh, last time he spoke with a Biden aide, we yelled at each other. And he says that's the reality of the news business. Um, Is it? Is that the reality of the news business? You yelling at White House aides? That's normal? Or was that not normal? So which is it? How, How many times do you yell at aides? How do you guys how often does that happen? that once a week once a day what was it over by the way what was the what was the the source of the contention that prompted the yelling was it hey i want to book somebody and they wouldn't book somebody on your airwave or was it uh, airwaves or was it uh uh somebody bailed on you canceled or what 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 was the what was the nature of it oh you won't tell us oh i see so while you're saying you do a terrible job of telling people how you Uh, do the job and the reality of the news business, you leave out all of those details in your argument that you shouldn't leave out all of the details. It's gaslighting. Guy's a sociopath, folks. Guy's a sociopath. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Got a tweet here saying, uh, Pete, stop calling Potato a man. You're not a biologist. True. So very true. Not a biologist. Oh, did you hear? Not a biologist now on the Supreme Court. So I assume she's going to be recusing herself from any case whatsoever that has anything to do with a man or a woman. Or not being a biologist at all. Um... Let me go over to the second clip. This is Ann Applebaum. Ann Applebaum. She is 
with The Atlantic. And another kid at this very same disinformation and erosion of democracy summit, another kid asks her a question about the Hunter Biden laptop story. Take a listen. Thank you. Thank you for doing this. Really appreciate it. I'm Daniel Schmidt. I'm a freshman at the University of Chicago. My question is for Ms. Applebaum. Um, so in 2020, you wrote, those who live outside the Fox News bubble do not, of course, need to learn any of the stuff about Hunter Biden, referring to his laptop, of course. Uh, a poll later after that found that if voters knew about the content of the laptop, 16% of Joe Biden voters would have acted differently. Now, of course, we know a few weeks ago, the New York Times confirmed that the content is real. Do you think the media acted inappropriately when they instantly dismissed uh, Hunter Biden's laptop as Russian disinformation? And what can we learn from that in ensuring that what we label as disinformation is truly disinformation and not reality? I, my, my problem with Hunter Biden's laptop is, I think, totally irrelevant. I mean, it's not whether it's disinformation or I mean, I don't think the Hunter Biden's um, business relationships have anything to do with who should be president of the United States. So I, I didn't find I don't find it to be interesting. I mean, that that would be my problem with the, that as a, as a major news story. That is her problem with it as a major news story. She doesn't find it relevant. She said it's totally irrelevant if the think about that. It's totally irrelevant that the Democratic nominee for president has a son who has financial dealings with foreign governments and businesses, which he then uses to illegally financially support the big guy, creating opportunities for blackmail and improper influence over the president and his family. And that is a totally irrelevant story to the person in charge at the Atlantic. She said it's not interesting to her. This is, I always come back to this, because it was such a perfect, such a perfect response from the blue checkmark crowd, the very online elites, the VOEs, right? You remember, um, I'm drawing a blank on her name now, uh, but she was at the Washington Post, I believe, at the time. Was it not, was it Tumulty? No, I forget. She, but she said that the uh, Kermit Gosnell story, the abortionist up in uh, Pennsylvania who like was keeping trophies of all of the dead babies. Right. And, and and was uh, performing these abortions and, and harming women and women. People died under his care, quote unquote care. And the reason why this reporter said they didn't cover the, uh, she was Washington post report. If I recall correctly, she said they didn't, cover the story was because it was a local crime story. That's what, that's what Ann Applebaum is essentially saying. Same sort of rationale. It's, a, it's not even rational. It's a rationalization. And as Jeff Goldblum informed us all in the big chill, rationalizations are more important than sex. Try to go one day without a rationalization, right? And it's true. It's funny because it's true. So the reason it's not a news story is because she personally doesn't find it to be interesting or relevant. That's it. Now, why? Why is it not interesting or relevant? Oh, she doesn't tell us that part. Because that's really, see, that would be a great opportunity for the follow-up question of, how so? Why do you not find it relevant? Because of his business, because all she does is just say something to the effect of, yeah, his business dealings. So you don't find the, the... the president's son's business dealings interesting or relevant? 
Did you find Donald Trump Jr., Eric Trump's, or Ivanka Trump's, did you find their business dealings relevant? Of course they did. In fact, she did. Dan Bishop, Congressman Dan Bishop, tweeted out screenshots of her own comments about the Trump kids. So she does think it's relevant and interesting when it's a Republican. But don't you know, it's, see, it's, it's different. You can't spell different without the big D for Democrat. It's different when they do it because they're Democrats. That's all. And these people are the panelists at the disinformation and erosion of democracy summit which has now produced more clips showing how awful these gatekeepers are at what they do and why you shouldn't really think it's going to get any better anytime soon. They've done more in their comments at this panel discussion than to do anything to actually combat disinformation.